The New Statesman. Hello and welcome to the latest New Statesman Spotlight podcast, brought to you in association with Google Chrome OS. I'm Becky Slack, and I'm joined today by Michael Wyatt, Director of Chrome OS EMEA, and Dr. Justin Sutton-Parker, CEO of research organisation PX3 and Research Fellow at the University of Warwick. Michael, Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good morning. The UK is one of the largest producers of household electronic waste in the world. In 2022, we threw away nearly 24 kilos of things like plugs, mobile phones and computer hardware per person. The volume of e-waste produced worldwide is predicted to increase from more than 61 million metric tonnes this year to nearly 75 million in 2030. And the vast majority of this will go into landfill. Today, we are going to discuss what businesses and other organisations can do to play their part in reducing the scourge of e-waste and more broadly, how IT can drive sustainability. Justin, I'd like to start with you, please. We've heard those striking statistics just now on how much e-waste is produced globally and how this is only expected to grow. Can you give our listeners an overview of how e-waste is generated and what it's comprised of? And just to say that as I'm sat here chatting with you, I'm looking at a box of old cables, chargers. I think there might be an old phone in there. Is this the kind of thing that we're talking about? It is, absolutely. So I think in positioning-wise, if we look at it from an IT perspective, there's around about 460 million devices produced every year from uh, you know notebooks, desktops, etc. And that's really down to demand from uh, roughly around about 4 billion users. The point being is that obviously people keep those for differing lengths of time. So when it comes to the end of its useful life, something will happen to that device. So it'll either be absolutely go for we recycling, where that will be you know, a huge factory which will extract useful metals, valuable metals, reconstitute and recycle the plastic and so on and so on. A lot of it will, as you just rightly mentioned, sit in people's houses doing nothing. They can go to obviously second use, but when we're looking from an end of life perspective, there's also other options where it might be that these devices end up going to people that are actually uh, remanufacturing and putting that back into the system. So to be honest, I don't think everybody does what they ought to with regards to their devices. And currently we need to push that forward to make sure people are doing the right things. And I think one of those things really is keeping devices longer because that's the most important thing. It's really simple maths. If it's got a carbon footprint, the longer you keep it, you're not buying a new device. So therefore, there's not a new device needed by demand for yourself. And it's not just the item itself, is it? It's the way in which we use it. As I understand it, these devices generate 1% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions. What kind of help do people need to minimise that impact? Well, there's a few things. I mean, if we look at it from a um, sort of wider governmental perspective, uh, we can look at things that are helping drive this. So an obvious one is around about 80 to 85 percent of the carbon footprint of a device is manufacturing. So I'll come back to that. The other part is actually energy use, because that will create scope to emissions. So that's electricity use face emissions. Now, the carbon inside that electricity is caused by obviously the electricity supply and you know, generation of it. So looking at it from an international perspective, the more green energy we assume within all of the global electricity grids, the lower that carbon footprint becomes. So I do a lot of work and research all over the world. So if you're looking at the carbon footprint of devices in America, where there's not much uptake of green energy, 
that scope two emission will be higher, whereas exactly the same device used in, say, the Nordics will be much lower because the carbon intensity in the electricity grid is much more, and obviously because they've got more renewable energy. So looking at that part, that's one thing, and understanding that, but also understanding that you know, one device will actually be more energy efficient than another device. You know, we happen to be talking about Chrome OS and things like that today. Chromebooks, some of my research have proved that Chromebooks are far more energy efficient than most other devices. Equally, from a manufacturing perspective, it is a far smaller carbon footprint to have a tablet or a notebook than it is to have a desktop and a monitor. So look at smaller carbon footprints with regards to the scope three side of things. But going back to what will help people to look at that, firstly, it starts off with the manufacturer actually getting better methods of production, making sure we're reducing that scope three supply chain input. But the other side of it is making sure that people can actually select devices that have a low carbon footprint. Now, that's been very difficult in the past. The reason being is uh, there was previously quite a limitation on information, but that's got a lot better now with lots of the brand manufacturers producing what we call product carbon footprint reports. The problem is uh, they use a differing methodologies to produce these reports. So it just, in summary, makes them a little bit difficult to compare because the data is not prepared in the same way. I created a, an application that harmonizes all of that data. So to make that easy for people to look at, they can go on the application, just search for notebooks, and it will stack rank all of them by carbon footprint. What that does, it means that people who are looking for devices can actually find in confidence the right devices with a low carbon footprint. Great. Thank you. Michael, that seems like a good opportunity to come in and ask exactly what Google Chrome OS has been doing with regards to innovation on this front. Yeah, thank you. And also how Google and PX3 have been working as well over the last couple of years. I work in Chrome OS, so I'm representing Google's laptop and operating system out into customers. So desktops, notebooks and tablets are very important to us. And when you think 450 million of those are made every year, the fewer that we can put into e-waste and the better way that we can manufacture those sustainably, obviously it's better for everybody. But one of the big things is really prolonging the life cycle of the devices that people have. So me and my team are selling Chrome laptops and devices into, into loads and loads of different companies. And one of the things that we're talking about and we're really passionate about is, is an innovation which we brought to the market about a year and a half ago called Chrome OS Flex, which we officially launched last year. And essentially what that allows a company to do is to repurpose an aging Windows or Mac device and make it a Chrome OS device. If I put that into perspective, we were talking to a, a really large bank a few weeks ago. They are now looking at going in onto Windows 11. So they have a Windows 11 upgrade path, which means they have to buy devices that have a TPM chip in them. So economically, it's quite an expensive thing for the bank to do, to buy tens of thousands of new devices, especially when a lot of the devices that they've got that are running Windows 10 are perfectly okay. You know, there's actually nothing wrong with them. It's just that the vendor is forcing them to upgrade. So what they can do in that instance is they can put Chrome OS Flex on those devices for free and they can repurpose all of those devices to make them, in effect, brand new Chrome OS Flex devices, which also gives you, um, and this is thanks to Justin's research, that also reduces electricity consumption by around 19% equivalent. So you're also saving more electricity. But that's just part of it. You can actually use up to a 10-year-old laptop, but you can actually repurpose those and make them Chrome devices. So that's the really big sort of mission that we've been on over the last year and a half, trying to get 
companies to look at different strategies to, to become more sustainable in their companies. Because when PCs reach their end of life, basically we're saying that doesn't have to be an obsolete PC. You can actually continue to use that. So definitely replacing rather than renewing PCs is probably one of the best ways to demonstrate your net zero strategy as well. Because a lot of board members that I'm talking to at the moment, they have that actually in their board mandate, you know, being sustainable and making sustainable choices, not just around technology, is actually now part of their DNA and part of their mission going forward. And that's not just something that the board is asking. It's something the people that they employ are asking and the people that are coming into their companies, as well as their customers. There becomes this dilemma in companies and with consumers where, yes, I want to be sustainable. I want to make the right choice. I want to save the planet. But also, you know, in today's environment, especially with the cost of living and inflation, especially in, in the UK, how do you make that decision and also reduce your costs and save money? So, so and, and interestingly, Chrome allows you to do both. It's really positive to hear that so many of the businesses that you're talking to are engaged in this issue. What about those who might be new to this journey or still haven't really figured things out? What advice have you got for them? First of all, it's not easy. You know, make, making these decisions is actually quite difficult. There's only a certain amount of choices that you can make. But, you know, I've been doing a lot of webinars and a lot of events where we've been talking about this. And my message to people is just do whatever you can. We're probably not individually going to change the world because it's such a huge problem. But if you are, for example, an IT decision maker, which are the people that I talk to all day long, you can make a difference. And the thing to think about, first of all, is what sort of tech am I procuring? What am I actually buying? What devices and what technology and what cloud infrastructure am I using, for example, to enable all of my employees to be productive and to do their work? So it comes down to the CIO, the CEO, the IT director, and also individual users just to ask the question, how can we do this in a more sustainable way? Is there a better choice for us to make? You know, are the devices that we're making, as Justin said, are they being manufactured responsibly? For example, one of our HP Chromebooks is, is made out of reused plastic that's come from the oceans, for example, and all the packaging on all of our Chromebooks and also a lot of other devices as well are made out of recyclable cardboard. So, so just ask the question and vendors expect this now. We expect our customers to say, how are you making these sustainable choices? Are you giving me the products that are sustainable? And you need to convince me that you're doing that. We spoke to a really huge organization a few weeks back and we talked to their procurement department and, and I asked the question, why do you buy from a vendor? What are the main things that predict why you buy from one supplier versus another supplier? She said, well, it's basically three things. It's cost, obviously, I mean procurement. So it needs to be the most cost-effective solution. It needs to work. So technically it has to do the job and it has to be sustainable. And they're 33 and a third percent equally as important in the decision that I make when I buy a new kit. That was a major buyer in the UK, you know, who buys tens of thousands of devices. That completely blew me away because things are starting to change. People are really, really, really starting to want to make a difference, which is fantastic. Justin, what are your thoughts on this? Those smaller organisations that perhaps don't have the same buying power as the bigger ones what is there out there for them if we rewind a little bit so go back a few years i did some research which was about the barriers to the diffusion of sustainable it the biggest thing was time and cost and then the second one was ignorance so if we forward wind to today the ignorance has fallen away by a lot of work you know caused by a lot of people to make sure that people understand this i spent all of my life working on the time and cost aspect so 
Amongst other things, I invented three applications. One that basically works out the exact carbon footprint of IT. The other one offers the procurement thing that I talked about earlier so that you can basically compare the models before you buy them. But the third one is another application which, you know, you press a few strategy buttons and it tells you exactly how many GHG emissions would be reduced by taking a certain strategy. Let's use um, Chrome OS Flex as an example to extend life lifespan of devices. But also what it includes is a um, financial metric which says by doing this, you will save X, Y, Z because you're buying less devices less often, you're spending less money on electricity and everything else. I might hit the nail on the head earlier. So the stakeholder investment in all of these things. Now, based on role-based needs, you will appeal more to a stakeholder around sustainability. That's that 33 and a third. Then there will be the uh, CFOs, et cetera, that are interested in the monetary saving and so on and so on. So if you can prove all of these things actually are good for the planet and also good for profit, you'll have a much higher adoption. So companies that want to work all of this out really quickly in something that would have taken them months and months and months to do previously, these applications, you can literally do it within 10 minutes. So you just log on, company can put the details in, find out what the carbon footprint is, press the modeling buttons, and they can work out what will actually work for them in the future. So you know, I've pretty much dedicated all of my work to make sure that the simplicity comes with all of these things. And then they can find out, as Mike said, you know, which vendors are good for them and what it's doing for them. So I think that's important to me. And that's where people ought to be looking at to achieve their goals. And just thinking about policy, there's been lots of debate in politics recently about the transition to net zero and how feasible a lot of the government's plans are. What kind of policies would you like to see in order to help cut e-waste? So I think some things do exist already. I'm a research fellow with the University of Warwick and I have to conduct global GHG impact projects. We look at what the policies are around uh, sustainable design of devices. So it's eco-design. And that's kind of all across the world in different formats. So you'd be similar in Europe as it will be in the UK, similar in the US. So that kind of works for the production side of things. Then there's that next level up. Will people actually take on board the sustainable procurement side of things? So that's the policy side of it. That will drive a certain element of uptake. In Europe, you've got uh, sustainable procurement laws, which mean that people ought to be buying devices that will contribute to net zero campaigns, abatement, that type of thing. UK, we've got something slightly different. I work with the government on this particular area. It's called the Greeny ICT uh, policy. And what that asks for is that devices that you purchase, you know, like a notebook or a desktop or whatever, must um, have the lowest carbon footprint and therefore scientifically be proven to reduce your carbon footprint as you move forward for those net zero strategies. So what I'd like to see is those policies sit quite deeply in public sector organisations, using America as an example. They enforce the EPID eco label and also things like, you know, making sure it's energy star. But I think it needs to come out of just the public sector arena at the policy level and be applied to all companies. Because, you know, say if um, alluding to a bank or something, Banks tend to keep devices for the shortest period of time I've ever come across. Average device retention uh, for notebooks is between four and five years. I speak to a lot of banks that only keep devices for two years. They give various different reasons for that. It can be warranty. It can be their users want new products. But I think if there was a policy within government by nation or by region that says, actually, 
you've got to do more about this like it does within the public sector, then I think those commercial organisations would take more note. And I must say, using the applications, when I sit down with somebody from a bank and just run them through, you know, just plug in their details of how many devices they've got, how often they refresh them, and if they didn't refresh so quickly, and then just press the buttons, and they see the multiple millions of pounds they can save by not doing this, but also more importantly, the enormous amount of GHG emissions, I think using a term, the penny drops quite quickly, and these people can then visualise, actually, why am I doing this? Mike, do you agree with that? Justin made a really good point there. Making it visual is a really important thing. Good example, we work with PX3 and we did a report on central government. So I think there's 2.2 million devices across the UK government. And we showed them that they could save 1 million kilograms of CO2 emissions and £72 million worth of savings by switching to a more energy efficient OS like Chrome. But the thing I loved about that is in the report that Justin created, it showed you how many trees. It showed you the actual acres of forest that the UK government could save. It might seem like a silly thing, but for me, having just spent a weekend in a forest with my dog and my my kids, that resonated with me so, so much more powerfully than just saying, oh, it's going to save you kilograms of CO2 or it's going to save you some money. Actually physically seeing what it could do, I think is really important. There's a lot of things out there in the press at the moment which tries to make people understand the impact of what we're doing to the planet in ways like that, which are really making people stand up. We're on this path. We've just got to accelerate it. <laughs> and that's, that's why I love, I love the work that Justin's doing out there because he's actually really making a difference by showing individual companies how they can make the impact. And, and, and that's why we're just so so you know, proud to be able to work with him and take that messaging out to the market because we can allow these decision makers to, 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 you know, do the right thing, which I think is amazing. And in fact, it's an easy thing to do because you can get OS Flex, which we've been talking about, you can get that on a USB key. So you can actually do that free of charge. And if you go on the Chrome OS website um, and sign up for a trial, you can use it on any one of your old devices and actually get it up and running. So there's no excuse. There are things that you can do and there is low-hanging fruit that you can go after. Chrome's one of them, but there are things out there as well. First of all, you've got to make the decision that you want to make the difference. That's the first thing. And I'd just like to back Mike up on that. Biggest one for me is always simplicity. Everything I do is to remove a barrier to get to the answer. But going back to Chrome OS Flex, it is so simple to plug it into a laptop and all of a sudden it just becomes a Chrome device. It's so quick. It's easy. So I think the public is aware of what's at stake if we don't take these measures. I think we, we all know about the impacts of climate change. Paint a picture for us of what life is going to be like, particularly in relation to computing and the type of technology that's going to be available that's a bit more positive. Like If we do do these things, what does the future hold for us? Let's talk about everything we've got currently. So that will transition to lots more remanufactured product because people are realising actually this is still good and I can carry on. The extended life through things like Chrome OS Flex. But also as we move forward, I do a lot of work at looking at um, progression. I've just completed a piece of work for TCO Certified, which is an eco label. And I look at what the carbon footprint was back in 2018 on average for every device type, what we're moving towards. And the one thing is that I'll say is the methodologies of actually quantifying the carbon footprint is getting much better. So some of the data makes it look like we're not making progress in carbon footprints, but that's only because we're getting clearer with our data. So when we're looking at things like that, we're managing to reduce the component footprint of each of these. 
So we get less and less footprint. So there are devices out there now where we're looking at sort of 130 kilograms for a Chromebook carbon footprint wise. Whereas if I look back when Mike was talking about, you know, sort of three or five years ago, we might be looking at um, carbon footprint of a laptop or a notebook or something of around about 550 kilograms. So we're moving fast towards it being much better. Looking at the future, obviously devices will slim down. They will become more internet reliant because less of the actual processing will go on on the device. That will reduce the carbon footprint with the device. They become more energy efficient. A real simple one for people is the transition. If you think back to um, sort of 1990s around that era, it was all about the desktop. Desktop's got a huge carbon footprint screen, desktop itself. If we transition towards mobile-based devices, they've got a much lower carbon footprint. What we've got to be careful of is though the sort of transition between where we've got obviously smartphones and tablets and everything else is not going out and having a notebook, a tablet, a smartphone, because we're just then creating more and more and more devices. So I think in answer to your question, there will be a convergence at some point where the smartphone is slightly larger, but actually does many more things. So that will allow us just to dock into monitors or whatever. And also, you know, use of cloud resources will make that happen. So looking towards the future, there's plenty of responsible production policy out there. There's plenty of design policy out there. And it gets tighter and tighter and tighter every year. There's one thing about producing a device with recycled products. But if you can't recycle that device ingredients or raw materials, again, you're making a mistake. So what we're looking at now is I work very closely with a lot of manufacturers. I use Acer as an example. They are increasing their recycled plastic within their um, notebooks hugely. That's a very positive thing. But the main thing, I work a lot on modularity. If you buy something and it breaks and you can't fix it, that's a bad thing. So they're now producing devices with lots of modular components. So looking towards the future will be thin devices, modular components, Low energy consumption, I think, is very positive, but I will labour the point. Keep it as long as you can. Brilliant. Thank you. And Mike, what does the future look like from your perspective? I've been working with our sustainability team across Google while I've been looking at this and, and working with Justin over the last couple of years. And I'm really encouraged at the work that we're doing right at a data centre level. So across all of our products, you know, we, we know that there's going to be growth in generative AI and all these technologies, which is just going to... Um, ensure that people consume more and more and look at their screens longer and longer and therefore you know the consumption in data centers and and how we procure electricity and all of that is going to become more and more important and i'm just really thrilled by the work that google as a company and and other vendors as well but just just how they're they're really super serious about this and on a really good path to become even more sustainable so I think for tech specifically, I'm just so looking forward to the future because there are so many people that want to make a difference. And at the end of the day, it's the people that run all of these companies and make all of these decisions. And if, if all of these people remain as passionate as they are, and they have been over the last couple of years, then I think the future is, we can look forward to it, definitely. That's a really nice positive note to end on. Thank you very much. Many thanks to Michael and Justin for joining us today. You've been listening to a special New Statesman Spotlight podcast in partnership with Google Chrome OS. Try out Chrome OS Flex for yourself on an old PC or Mac for free. Download Chrome OS Flex onto a USB via the Chrome OS website. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more of Spotlight's policy reporting in our standalone Spotlight podcast feed or the New Statesman Spotlight website. The links are in the show notes. I'm Becky Slack and our producer has been Chris Stone. Thanks for listening. Thank you.